this session is Artists Talk About Creativity, Identity, and Disability. My name is Georgina Klieg. Uh, I was proposing that we could sort of go around and uh, each of us introduce ourselves as a way to get started. Uh, and I'll begin. Uh, I'm a writer, uh, a novelist, an essayist. I teach creative writing and disability studies at the University of California, Berkeley. Um, my recent books that I think are related to um, our subject today and the, the larger subject of Art Beyond Sight and access to art for people with visual impairments are uh, my book Sight Unseen, uh, which is a collection of personal essays about blindness. Uh, where I address a lot of topics, and one that's sort of most relevant here is uh, some uh, description I have about growing up as the blind child of two visual artists uh, and how that shaped my understanding of the visual world. Uh, my more recent book is a book called Blind Rage, uh, Letters to Helen Keller, uh, and I think maybe the title uh, says it all. Uh, anyway, that's that's me, uh, let me just go around um, alphabetically and turn to Gina Badenich. Yes. Is that Hi. Hello. Yeah, that's fine. That's fine. Hi. Ah. Hi to everyone. <laughs> um, I'm, well, I am a photographer uh, that I did my MA in Image and Communication at Goldsmiths College, University of London. And that's where I realized the whole importance of the creative process behind photography. And that's where I started teaching photography to the blind and partially sighted people. As, um, for me, the importance of the whole message in a photograph, it's about the process and the creativity and the imagination. So it was just a way to open a, cha like a channel of communication. So that's where I started running some workshops here in Mexico and in London. This I've been doing it for a year and a half now. Well, that I think it would be my introduction. Okay. Let me turn now to Anne Cunningham. Yes, I'm Anne Cunningham, and I am a tactile artist out here in Colorado, and I teach art at the Colorado Center for the Blind. I have been for about the last eight years now. And um, I'm also a VSA artist. Um, I am dyslexic, and I think that that probably had a lot to do with uh, um, uh, just choosing the, the, the area of exploration that I have, uh, simply because I think that when you um, need to uh, approach the world more creatively because you <laughs> can't seem to do it the same way other people do, um, it, uh, it expands your creative um, notions, and um, when I started doing uh, Bas Relief, I wondered if the pictures I was making would be tactually accessible, and meaning that they, my intent would be, could be interpreted through touch, and I found out that the answer was no after I connected with the Colorado Center, but um, since then I have been exploring how to make it tactually accessible, and uh, it's been just a really fun experiment, and um, I miss everybody's interested in helping um, 
people who are blind to be able to make their own art as well as um, explore other people's artwork. Okay, the next person I have is uh, Nitza Horner. Yes, hello. How are you, everyone? Uh, my name is Nitza, and I'm a uh, contractual artist and educator at the Metropolitan Museum of Art. I met some of you a couple of weeks ago. I am a sculptor, and uh, as an educator at the Metropolitan Museum, I do tours and workshops for people with uh, various challenges, and uh, within that I noticed my ability uh, for empathy, which led me to finding any means possible to connect with people I worked with from the severely physically and mentally challenged uh, through um, mainstream audiences. So I use tactile and uh, fragrance and touch and sound, anything I possibly can apply to find what's great about people, and that's what I love to do most of all. So I'm very excited to be here today. Great. And our final guest today is Buzzer Howell. Hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Buzzer um, Howell, and I am a totally blind painter. Um, I was originally sighted, and I lost the bulk of my vision when I was 15. Um, and then all of it when I hit 40, so that's been 20-some years ago. Um, I've never stopped working as an artist. Um, basically, my work um, is really not set up for the blind to feel my work so much as uh, for sighted people. Um, although it's very tactile, and blind people can touch my work, but um, it's not specifically made for blind people. And I'm here because I'm very interested in how art is portrayed to um, blind people. Um, I think that a lot of times um, it's presented in too elementary a fashion and that people don't, um, sighted people don't understand how blind people actually deal with space and how they understand it. So that's why I'm on the um, telephone conference. Thank you. Great. Um, maybe it would be interesting uh, to talk, those of us, those of you who are artists, uh, particularly creating visual art or tactile art, to talk a little bit about um, process. Because for me, as somebody who is interested in art, I'm always interested in hearing uh, the artist's process. Um, especially with highly visual art that I don't have access to, uh, sometimes knowing how the artists work and the ideas that they're putting forward um, is a way for me to uh, get some access to it. So maybe I'll go back to Gina and to talk about um, photography and uh, blind and visually impaired photographers and maybe a little bit about uh, technical aspects or, or how people uh, approach this, this form that is so highly visual. Well, yeah, I think uh, something to re well to remember about photography is um, how it is does happen in the darkness, no? And how it is it, we do need light to have to create an image with the films, not the the original way. But um, it, there was always a process where we were taking photos, and then where we didn't, where all the photographers we had like a moment of blindness, we could say where we didn't know if the photograph would come out or not. 
And even though we didn't know that and we went through that process, what made us be there taking the photos was the whole process behind it of what we wanted to communicate and what we felt when we were there taking the photo and the smells and sounds and tastes, everything, all the little things that are around that make us take a photograph are part of the, the process to create that image and to communicate it as a fo in a photograph. Um, so what we do in the, when, we are, when we teach photography to the blind is just remember that, that process of how we understand what's going on around us with our senses. And with the camera we use, is, um, well, it is an automatic focus, but by knowing the angle of the lens, um, the, with that you know how much is going to be in your frame. And as you say, the, well, the, the blind people, when you, when you lose the sight, know that you have the other senses much more developed and the sense of space, it's better understood that for a lot of sighted people. So um, the camera it becomes a tool for them to identify what's going on around. And with sound and taste and by touching things, they create their image. You know? So I, I think that it's just very basic. It's like how we learn when we're children to understand what's around us. And I think there's a point where we suddenly forget to use all our other senses and we give a lot of power to sight. And we forget that sight does limit us a lot to really feel and get the essence of, of what's going on, you know? even if it's just an... Uh, just a person passing by, but if, if you get to, to talk to them and to ask them to, to be in a certain place to take the photograph, and the portrait would be much more interesting, you know, in a way. Mm -hmm. So um, I think basically what's going on with teaching photography and why the f blind people are interested in taking photographs um, from what they've told us also is um, photography itself is not the most important thing. It is more the process and the dialogue around that process that brings fulfillment rather than the actual image themselves. It is much about the, the whole dialogue that's going on. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's making a little bit of sense or not really. No, tell me, Tom. Um, I, I'm very aware of a, a growing number, it seems, of um, blind photographers around the country here at Berkeley, a few years ago, we had an exhibit called Blind at the Museum that um, featured work by blind artists, and uh, fully three-quarters of them were photographers. Uh, and some of them had been uh, sighted photographers and then uh, lost their sight and continued and sort of adapted their processes um, to their loss of vision. Uh, but it was it was interesting to... to note how many uh, artists around the country, uh, photographers, blind photographers there are around the country. Let me turn then to, to Busser and uh, ask about the process of painting and how you've adapted your process uh, over the years, um, uh, you know, how you go about putting paint on canvas. Um, all right. I, if you understand the fact that um, originally I was sighted. Mm -hmm. I say that in in, uh, in a very uh, qualitative sense because I, in fact, don't think that I ever actually saw well. And mm -hmm. um, like when I was a very small child, uh, an eye doctor had said to my parents, he'll probably be blind by the time he's a teenager. And um, in fact, that um, became true, but it was... Um, Let's say at, at 15, I actually lost all of my vision except for about a 3% field in my left eye. Mm 
And with that uh, percent of the field, um, I worked as a painter. And from the time I was 15 until I was 40, um, I actually, as a blind painter now, look back at that body of work as um, a time when I was always overcompensating because today, as a totally blind painter, in fact, what I've learned is that sight, first of all, is a brain function. And that, to me, is the key of all of this, what we're talking about, is that, um, as Gina, if I'm saying her name correctly, the, the last one I was just speaking, mm -hmm. um, said, um, what you're actually doing is, even even though our eyes don't work, we're still seeing it in our mind's eye, and, and it is the brain that's processing the sight. So for me, as a painter, um, I'm totally visual, i.e. I can mix colors. Um, I separate all my colors. Um, so if somebody says mix a robin's egg blue or a grass green, I can mix it and do it just from memory. Mm -hmm. But um, what I've learned more um, in the last 20 years is to, in fact, let go and allow the... Um, creative energy to take over and to try to step back and, and not act consciously as I'm working and allow the subconscious to take over. And um, by using that as a vehicle, I think my work has um, become much more powerful. Um, the creative energy that um, goes on um, is um, a much uh, stronger flow than if I'm consciously trying to uh, be right there. Um, I don't. I'm. I'm not so concerned about um, whether when I'm painting, um, if I'm totally covering a canvas, um, whether one area is uh, thick or thin. Mm -hmm. I'm um, allowing my body to tell me what's going on, and. Um, my imagery, I actually have gone totally, well, I go back and forth. I go into abstraction because it's easier to be painting abstract when somebody says, if you're blind, how can you paint? Mm -hmm. And when I go into figurative things, then people say, well, you know, you must have somebody helping you. And that's mm -hmm. not true. I don't. Um, but it's just easier to work in abstraction. And um, I go in and I'm basically... Um, uh, create. I use my body as a as a basis for judging where I am on a on a canvas. Mm -hmm. At the time that I'm working on the canvas, I t totally see the piece. Um, the I my choice of colors is by um, listening to what my body is telling me to do. Mm -hmm. um, and um, I don't know whether that's clear enough about what I'm doing with my work. But mm -hmm. should yeah. I get into more subject matter or no? Um, sure. Uh, <laughs> I think we'd love to hear. I don't. I don't want to yeah. take up you know everybody's time, but I mean, basically, yeah. since nine eleven, living in New York, I I actually have my my work has been following um, basically what's been going on to not only the Americans but to what's happening all around the world. So mm -hmm. I actually started off with. Um, canvases that had uh, basically a. a, a a sky and a horizon line and then uh, the representation of land just being big stripes of color. And then um, after 
trying to come up with some sort of process that would 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 give the sense of the drama and the um, the shock of what we had experienced losing the trade of uh, the World Trade Centers. I ended up um, applying uh, tar paper, roofing paper, mm. um, in big torn strips on the canvas, which are vertical that basically represented the silhouette of the trade uh, the trade towers. Mm-hmm. Um, that process then expanded when we got involved in Afghanistan and um, like the caves of Tora Bora and all of that. My work started following that, um, not being totally representational, mm-hmm. but um, big torn areas out of tar paper that had um, distant horizon lines again. Um, some of them follow the, the aspect of actual landscape blue skies, green ground, uh, uh, terracotta, that kind of a feeling. Others of them went totally um, um, berserk with colors, and I wasn't paying too much attention to it. I followed uh, the loss of the disco that was blown up in Jerusalem, mm-hmm. um, and I um, did three memorial pieces to that. And basically since then, my work has been following up until we went into Baghdad, which um, I created 15 paintings that are basically black, a black overtone that uh, is a combination of tar paper, sandpaper, applied to canvas that's been um, stained with uh, Payne's gray and raw umber. Mm-hmm. And um, at that point, um, I decided I should stop being so politically oriented and um, <laughs> went directly to the opposite and went to white. Um, and because of bringing in this paper, then I started working with white paper. Um, it's moved forward to moving into handmade papers being torn. Everything is torn-edged and um, applied to the canvas. I actually do not do the application. I take the canvas, put whatever paint and paper is going to be on it, um, put it down with masking tape, and then I have an assistant come in and actually do the actual Mm -hmm. gluing for me. Mm -hmm. And at present, I'm doing assemblages um, that um, I I moved from the papers to actually using stainless screen, uh, screen like a screen door screen Mm -hmm. with paper uh, floating in between. And now I've just done a show that's all about surveillance, wiretapping, and um, racial profiling. And Mm -hmm. actually, these are assemblages with everyday items like glasses and mustaches and braids, uh-huh. earrings and um, hands and stuff. Um, but um, the work, again, I, you know, I try to open myself up and um, uh, use my subconscious, uh, my shakti, my spirit, whatever, yeah. create the work. Okay. Um, let, me, let me turn back to, to Ann Cunningham. Um, to address this issue of process and um, the connection between mind and mind vision and creating art. And you have the perspective both as an artist yourself, but also as a, a, a teacher. I wonder if you have some reflections. Yes. Um, uh, I guess I, I work in two different ways, and they both feed into the teaching and what I get from my students. Um, I work also process work, you know, work trying to call up things from my uh, unconscious. And it's so, it's very um, personal, and I draw from my experience. So 
um, I know how it felt or how it feels. So when I'm creating my artwork, I'm generally just recalling the feel of the the event that whatever it is that I'm coming up with. Mm-hmm. But in um, when I also work, have been just started working recently with uh, museums and doing tactile interpretations of their collection. I have a lot of different reasons for doing that. For a long time I said I wouldn't do it. And then I realized um, that I might actually make more headway if I went ahead and did that. And um, I'm happy that I am doing it. It's um, been a really interesting experience. And it's also shown me things like, um, well, I did this one called The Buffalo Hunt, and it's um, there's a Native American riding after a buffalo, and he's shooting a bow and arrow. And I know how most things felt, but when I got to, like, the headdress, I realized, um, you know, when I was sculpting that, I had the visual, because I'm working from a, a photograph of the original painting, mm-hmm. but I realized I didn't know how it felt. And so I sort of fudged it, you know, and I, I felt... Um, like, wow, that's a big hole in my knowledge that I don't know how something that that feels. You know? And I think prior to that, maybe I didn't really, I wasn't really processing things in my mind that way. I was more um, doing visual interpretation, you know. But I think I've evolved to a point where now I really am working more tactually. Mm-hmm. Both, uh, you know, my from my body to the artwork mm-hmm. that way. But um, and this has all led to some really interesting discoveries. Um, one is that um, I realized when I was doing this one called, um, it's now called Animated Raven, but when I first did it, it was called Five Ravens. And I, I did it as a piece that was illustrating five ravens in different positions. But when I accessed it tactually after it had been completed, it became one raven that was just jumping around into different positions. So that just, you know, like opened up a whole new world, you know. Mm. Could do like animations, um, tactile animations. That was Mm -hmm. very exciting. The other um, thing is that uh, working with students, um, because we work in uh, creating pictures as well as three-dimensional artwork. Um, in one of the classes, we do a landscape uh, pictures. But the way we do it is we go to an area, someplace in the mountains that's really um, pretty, and we explore the area, and then we come back to class and we sort of make a kind of a, oh, just, you know, it can literally be garbage, you know, like mm-hmm. a pop bottle to stand for uh, whatever, you know, mm-hmm. uh, popsicle sticks to stand for a bridge and wadded up newspaper taped down to stand for the the ground. And then we can talk about uh, background, middle ground, foreground, and, and it just depends on what, what side of the box you're on, where, which is which, you know. Mm-hmm. So the students have the opportunity and the option to uh, choose what perspective they want to in their picture, and we, then we talk about picture plane principles, like how these things would lay out. But, you know, then when it gets interpreted, um, students do whatever they want, and, you know, it's just been so fun to see 
things like, you know, one student did a picture of, of this one landscape, and it was done from about three different types of perspectives. Hmm. Well, one was, you know, the uh, the typical per- one-point perspective, you know, where the the background was where the background should be and, mm-hmm. you know, things like that. But then her um, picnic table and the bridge were done from a, like a bird's-eye view. And then the trees, the canopy of the trees was done from underneath, you know. So we had, it was like you were looking all around the... Mm-hmm. The you weren't limited to a single vantage yeah. point. Yeah, so yeah. that was really exciting. Mm-hmm. Well, let me turn finally to to Nisa. Am I saying that right now? Yes, you're saying it great. Okay. Uh, and just maybe you want to say a little bit about uh, students you've worked with and their, their processes and uh, those issues. Uh, for me, coming from the standpoint of ability and uh, being uh, originally from Israel, where thinking about integrated society has always been an issue that I struggled with, I, I my goal is to try to just integrate all students with all abilities on sometimes on the level of what I call peer teaching. I find what's great about each person and have them teach it to one other so the spectrum of low or high function or how they see is just um, maybe um, a terminology that I try to suppress when I feel my students and their need. And by traveling through their senses, by bringing um, maybe seasonal fragrance, I find that uh, any human would apply themselves more um in a more interested way if you're bringing something that is growing in season that provides mm. uh, fragrance that is organic to the senses uh, to get some uh, body intelligence to pop in, in in ways of skin tones, in, in ways of motion, and then, and then just mixing everything together, uh, taking uh, children, audiences at the Met, and... Um, putting items in brown paper bags and letting them see with their fingers, which they're always excited to do, mm-hmm. to um, taking uh, consumers in a mental day care facility and working with them on looking at line, shape, and color and having them create a program to teach their caregivers or to teach one other. Uh, even at times have nonverbal students uh, stand in front of paintings at the Met mm and express themselves in front of it in such an amazing way mm-hmm. that is all within a teaching spectrum and it all connects into learning, internal learning that that I feel I as a person need. It's not mm-hmm. it, it, it's always is about empowerment and I found that when you're a silent leader and when you empower that's where the process of uh, what does earth mean to you in in how does it feel when you squeeze it, and how it's okay to feel different feelings and, mm-hmm. and revert to unique experiences? So I prepare, I study, and when I come to the group, I just inhale the need and try to empathize with it and try to be a facilitator mm-hmm. through what I feel. So mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. I think that, that makes sense. Let me... Let me raise a, 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 a skepticism 
that's out there in the world. Uh, when I talk to people about um, the the very idea of a blind artist or a blind photographer, um, people raise the objection that is, if somebody's totally blind, um, sure, you can put a paintbrush in their hands or you can uh, give them a camera and they can point and shoot, but... <clears throat> If they can't perceive the 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 end product, uh, the what comes out of the camera or what's what shows up on the canvas, um, can they be said to have produced it? Uh, isn't there always a, a need for a sighted assistant or companion to uh, direct them or you know describe what they've done or uh, somehow process um, what what's being produced? And I'm just I'm just throwing this question out there uh, and to see who who wants to respond. I'll start. Okay. I think mm-hmm. it's um, I think it's a prejudice that I'm sure that everybody uh, who is blind um, experiences, um, and I, from my standpoint, I feel sorry for sighted people who think they understand and that we don't understand. I think they're missing the fact that um, although we may be missing one faculty that they are so dependent upon, we we still are using our brain, and it's our brain that's processing what, however, whatever information is coming in, it's the brain that's it's, is processing that information. And that's that to me is... That's the root of all the problems. Mm-hmm. Everybody's so stuck in because they can see and we can't see. They think that you know that well. That's that's all there is. And in fact, they're the ones that are they're the ones that are limited in scope and in understanding. Mm-hmm. So it's an educational process, which I don't think. Um, I like for myself. I don't bill myself as a blind artist. Mm-hmm. I'm an artist first and foremost. And the fact that I don't see is um, just part of my makeup and has nothing to do with how my work is affected. Mm-hmm. And, of course, you know, you can say, well, the fact that I can't see what I'm doing um, is going to affect my work. But um, I, don't, I, don't, I don't, from my, my own personal standpoint, I don't buy that. I also, I guess I put that in quotes because if somebody asks me to do a portrait, obviously I'm not going to sit there and do a portrait. Mm-hmm. So I am working within whatever parameters I have available to me. Mm-hmm. But as you know, I'm I'm an artist that can't see. Mm-hmm. But first of all, I'm an artist and mm-hmm. I have an active mind, and I'm going to pursue uh, the nature of creativity um, as m- my venue to. Um, Make a statement and to be the storyteller, which is what I think most artists are. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, uh, well, I would, um, Jean. I just wanted to mention mention some things. Um, mm-hmm. I do get that question a lot, being a sighted photographer teaching the blind, mm-hmm. and um, and I do even get the thing of um, being horrible to the blind, teaching them photography mm-hmm. because they can't see the photograph. And I think something, um, as Buzz was saying, you know. It's that um, the, I think the blind people are reminding us the importance of the multisensory approach um, to life and how sight can become a limitation for a lot of the sighted people. And I think we have a lot to, to learn from them. 
because as also Buster was rem was mentioning, we see with our minds and not with our eyes, yeah. and that's something that a lot of sighted people don't remember. You no, know, they think they see with their eyes, and and they just they have so much um, they depend so much on sight that they think if they don't have sight, they are lost. And I think that's the other thing why the photography from like for the blind has been such a big thing because it's a way of communicating in a visual world that is full of images and it's just suddenly there people are listening to them because through the images they are showing how they can understand what's going on around and how not having sight doesn't make them someone that couldn't do art and actually they're very creative and very sensitized no? and um, Bob I just want to mention something that one of my students said and he said photography is an image that you can capture through feelings we create the photo in our minds first we imagine it then you focus and then you click the camera. I see the image in my mind with ideas about textures, shapes, size. You can move and adapt the object, create an image. And um, and I think that's basically the whole process that goes on also. So I would say they can do it perfectly well. Mm -hmm. And we have lots to learn and to, to listen. And I think through the the images and through the paintings, where they're just doing, making invis the, the invisible visible in certain mm -hmm. ways. How about you, Anne? Have you encountered this this uh, prejudice out there in the world? Well, um, you know the that is one thing that I've um, I've thought a lot about, and I've had students come in and want to explore like color because we do the in my class everything is um, textually accessible. Mm -hmm. um, so you know I sort of don't deal with this too much, but I've had students come in and want to explore. Um, they've, they've felt that they could detect colors tactually, and we've started to explore that a couple of times, and then it always seems to get dropped in favor of uh, just doing the, the art that's more accessible. So I would say that I haven't had that, but... But, um, you know, it seems to me that this argument is almost, it's very similar to the same argument about photography, you know, not too long, terribly long ago in and of itself. You know? mm -hmm. Is that real art, you know? Yeah. And now it's like, it's really, you used to argue about that, you know? Uh-huh. Yeah, and uh, I, it sounds a lot like that same argument. So the, the, the attitude that you just aim the camera and anybody who yeah, has exactly. a camera will produce the same... Uh, the sort of uh, mechanistic uh, idea of photography. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, it, you know, in my class, it's always uh, art, you know. It's uh, art happens in the, or the, you know, vision happens in the mind, not the eyes. Mm -hmm. And um, if it feels right, it is right. So that's mm -hmm. where we go from. Okay. How about you, Nitsa? Have you encountered the sort of uh, prejudicial attitudes? Absolutely. To uh, sometimes even uh, you walk with uh, the extremely challenged uh, children in wheelchairs on oxygen, and you have a visitor who will insinuate that we're bringing them to the museum to torture them mm -hmm. by mm -hmm. having to look at individuals who look so different uh, to what they're used mm. to see in the streets. But when I look at criticism, uh, if it doesn't come from a person who experienced what they're criticizing. I just uh, try to exhale it, just to accept it as what their 
cycle in life is and let it go because the more I'll try to understand their background and what it is they're trying to tell me, it just wouldn't make sense. So I just choose to let them live with that uh, ignorance and find their own windows while within the what we're doing and the people that we're working with, mm-hmm. I, I never find people who are trying to reflect opinion on what other people do or what would be the outcome. I mean, we we'll, may look back at art, art history, but where is the look forward to tomorrow and what it is that we need to learn within the creative process? So. Mm-hmm. I just let them be, and I think the more they would bother me, the more I would legitimize their 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 i guess their right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> to to make an opinion on something they have no experience doing yeah yeah okay um, I want to turn to another another aspect of what we're talking about here, and that has to do with the with um problems of of exhibition, um, issues about whether or not uh, an artist who happens to be blind wants to be identified as such, uh, wants to exhibit. I mean, there are growing numbers of exhibits around the country of um, art by people who are blind and visually impaired and people with other, other disabilities, uh, group shows where, that, that are um, collected around this issue. I mean, there's one currently going on in, in my neighborhood in San Francisco, an annual show run by the uh, White House for the Blind in San Francisco. Um, and there are other such exhibitions a, a, around the country. And I I, I wonder, you know, on, on the one hand, um, it seems to me a good thing that uh, artists are, are getting this kind of exposure and people are having the opportunity to see the work uh, and that also um, other people, young people, children, teenagers uh, who are blind and visually impaired um, can have access to this work and maybe have the idea that this is something that they could do too. On the other hand, I think there's an the argument that um, it's a, a kind of uh, a ghetto, a ghettoization of these artists and um, uh, it's sort of siphoning them off from the mainstream art world. Uh, and putting them into this category that's okay that's that's artists who are blind that's not you know real art um and i just i just wonder if people have have thoughts on that subject um i guess i'll go again yeah <laughs> um i just i i had done this show maybe 10 years ago or 12 years ago on NABA, which is national exhibition of blind artists which is out of philadelphia um and um i actually um obviously i wasn't 40 so sometime in my late 30s uh i stopped uh with my uh a friend of mine at the philadelphia museum and they had an exhibition of blind artists and it was i don't know that it was actually the neva show but i think it in fact was um and it was down in like this basement room of the philadelphia museum mm-hmm kind of like next to the cafeteria type thing, <laughs> that you sort of walk through it. And um, um, as I say, I'm a working artist, I mean, I'm a professional artist, and I, I was rather unimpressed with how sort of 
uh, arts and crafts, what was being displayed mm-hmm. was, and rather disappointed. And then um, I did a show with the American Printing House for the Blind, and then I then I started putting my work in in, in um, Neva. Um, um, I actually never went to the exhibition space, but this is the first time I've actually done it. And this year I put a piece back in the Neva show. And what I came away with, and there's, I'm going to say there's probably maybe 50 to 60 pieces, um, is that I think the real problem with exhibiting as blind artists is that the selection committee doesn't differentiate between professionalism and non-professionalism. So mm-hmm. you have um, some very talented people that um, have lost their vision, mainly. I mean, that's, um, I, I'm going to say that the more people than not have been people that have lost their vision. Mm-hmm. There was some really high-quality art there, and then there was some very much you know, sort of craft-oriented art. And it seemed like these were the people that um, had, you know, just were doing this um, uh, as a as a as a hobby. Mm-hmm. And um, it, you know, I walked away with the idea. Well, I can see why professional artists don't want to show in like Nebo or something like this or Lighthouse for the Blind, because mm-hmm. even though I put my work in there because I thought I was shunning the blind. Uh, society mm-hmm. and that I should you know not not walk away from it um, and I think there must be some sort of balancing act there between going as a professional and putting your work in and then you know just uh, competing against a 78 year old woman who's painting roses and, and bluebirds not mm-hmm. that there's anything wrong with that and I mm-hmm. don't mean to put that down but yeah that's how I feel as a professional I don't think you know you it's not apples and apples mm-hmm. and um I would view that as, um, as I say, I don't, you know, I don't go out and bill myself as a blind artist. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, I'm just doing computer training. And when I was kind of startled, I've heard about this woman who's been on Oprah and all this stuff. Who goes around saying, "I'm a blind artist. Look at me. I, you know, I can do this and I can do that." Mm-hmm. And I'm going like, "Well, okay, you're an artist. Maybe you should start going that that, that way first. Yeah, that's just my take. I, yeah, I'll shut up. Okay. <laughs> I'm. Um, I've got some ideas about this. Um, I'm glad that uh, Professor went first. I. I'm having, or I'm working with VSA Arts here in Denver. And we're hosting a tactile art show this Friday. It opens, and I think that since we're coming at it from a tactile standpoint. Mm-hmm. We do have artists who are all over the board. Um, I have students who are exhibiting in this show, and we have also a number of professional artists from all over the United States um, showing, and some are blind, some are sighted. And uh, I don't believe that we're identifying anyone. Uh, all the signage is in Braille and print. And, mm-hmm. um, so uh, it's all tactile art. And um, but it's uh, interesting because I think that the, the field maybe is new enough that there are students' works who, um, if you were judging this uh, visually, you you wouldn't include them in the in the show. 
but since we're doing this uh, taxually, they have they have elements of the in their work that are so surprising and so well done, even though you know um, maybe as a as a visual art it wouldn't hold together, but as a tactile art it does. Mm-hmm. And so you know I think that to uh, uh, a lot of times it's it's infrequent that a tactile art show is is judged tactually. And so um, I think that's an important part of this question that you've asked. Yeah, yeah. I mean, certainly, you know, people always uh, raise, I mean, I I have these conversations all the time, uh, and people say, well, why are these blind people, why are they doing photography? Why are they doing painting? Why don't they do sculpture? Because, you know, sculpture is is tactile. And, you know, in some sense, I, I think that that's, true of course sculpture is rarely displayed um in a way that allows for tactual um uh the tactual experience you know i mean it's only just recently that museums have started offering uh touch tours uh and um uh you know where people can can get their hands on artwork uh sculpture but I am sort of intrigued by the idea of tactile art. I guess what I'm saying is that sculpture is typically judged visually. Um, you know that that uh, an art critic or a museum goer isn't necessarily going to touch it. Um, and I, I'm intrigued what what Ian's saying about this idea of tactile art that's judged for its tactile qualities. I mean, it's a whole, it's a whole different aesthetic, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Yes, it is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, well, I'll I'll go back to um, uh, Gina and ask the, ask the same question about, you know, is it are 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 we limiting um, uh, blind photographers' access to audiences by sort of identifying them as people who are blind, or is that a good thing or a bad thing? Well, um, from my experience here in, I'm in Mexico, mm-hmm. so um, I would say the same that, well, uh, Nietzsche was saying in Israel, we have a problem of integration and like people reali- like giving an opportunity to people with to people with disabilities to do things. So uh, the the first exhibition we had in Mexico, it was about the the outcome from the workshops for the blind. So people knew it was about blind people taking photographs. Mm-hmm. And we did that because it was like a way to sensitize the audience to understand that they actually can take a photograph. Mm-hmm. So once we went through that stage where people were a shock for the sighted to say, I can't believe they're taking the photos and how they become aware, how they were the ones that had disability and not the blind people. So it was more about the dialogue and about understanding the, the barrier there was and mm-hmm. break that. And now we have an exhibition where we invited um, sighted and blind photographers and to make accessible their art. And basically we have 15 photographers from different parts of the world. And they're sighted, some are blind, and we didn't identify them. They're just photographers making accessible their photographs for the blind and making it a multi-sensory experience for the sighted. So basically the exhibition is the photograph with a tactile diagram and an audio description. Uh-huh. So for the, the blind, they can understand the image and they, it's been a great um, impact. 
And for the sighted, it has also been great because they've understand more the process behind it and they've realized how they don't use their imagination so much how because they're blindfolded when they walk into the exhibition. Mm-hmm. So they touch the tactile diagram, they listen to the audio uh-huh. description, and then they open a little drawer where the, the visual image is. And so it's become a very interactive um, way to get to the visual image and to really go through the process of what the, the artist the photographers wanted to express with their photograph. And in this exhibition, we don't identify, we just, it's just photographers. Um, so I think it, it's been a very thin line for us to know when to say it is a blind photographer, it's not a blind photographer. Uh-huh. And it's been more about the, how people are reacting to it and how well they understand, again, what we've been mentioning, how we see with their mind and not with the eyes. And So for us, it's been like a process. We've been going like to, to teach or have a the sighted world in a way, mm-hmm. no, and take it little by little. Great. I mean, that that sounds like an exhibit I'd really like to get my hands on. <laughs> hopefully, um, we'll take it to to New York. Hopefully, oh, or wherever we can we can take it. <laughs> oh, that would be that would be wonderful. We had a photographer at the Blind at the Museum show here at um, Berkeley a few years ago named Michael Cunningham, who I don't think is related to Anne Cunningham, <laughs> uh, <laughs> who's a. a a blind photographer is a formerly sighted photographer uh, has lost his sight, and he does various things. But one of one of the projects he was working on was tactile photography, where he has photographs and he um, outlines specific objects in the photograph with caulk. I mean, you know what you would use mm-hmm. in the bathroom. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it it dries, and then the the point is that you can sort of trace um, the object uh, on the surface of the f- the photograph. And in some ways, I found this a little problematic because it's still essentially a, a, a visual sense of touch. That is to say, you're sort of tracing an outline, um, whereas I think. Most blind people, you know, tactile exploration is something you don't necessarily do just with your fingertips. I mean, you do it with your whole hand, and it's um, three-dimensional rather than two-dimensional. But in any case, it was ve- it was sort of it was very thought-provoking work because it it sort of raised the question about blindness and photography. And but what was interesting about it was that people were so, and you know there are all these signs all go ahead and touch you know and <laughs> and people were so have been so trained from an early age not to touch the art that you know you, you literally uh, people giving docent tours had to grab people's hands and put them on the on the the photograph i'm thinking though um from uh Busser's description of his his recent work you know, again, this this sounds like work that I would really love to get my hands on. I mean, the idea of paper, different papers, tar paper, sandpaper, handmade papers. It actually and, is. I, I did yeah. a show um, at the uh, college in Long Island, and um, everyone said, can we feel the work? And I said, go, yeah, go ahead. But I don't know what the life expectancy of the work is going to be yeah, right. because it's made. Um, but I think, you know, Overall, I mean, there wasn't any damage in the show, and um, so people do come up, and it's um, like I said, like particularly with the difference between, let's like, say, tar paper and sandpaper, fine sandpaper. 
people see that texture and they want to touch it. And some mm-hmm. of the sandpaper has that glittery uh, sort of mica grit in it. Mm. And, um, you know, they very much uh, want to feel the pieces. I'm actually, some of my new stuff that I'm doing right now, I actually refer to as finger painting. Mm. And I'm applying paint very thickly um, with my hands that um, is kind of me moving into the point of, a, I'm not using any sort of uh, assistant at all with mm-hmm. the work, um, and B, that it becomes more tactile so that if people want to touch it, they can. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, I think because of the nature of the paint, you, you, I think, you know, there's, well, how long is it going to last? But on the other hand, does it matter? So yeah, um, I don't know. I, I know that these assemblages that I've been doing have like really glasses and rubber noses and mustaches and silly stuff on them and rubber bugs which represent our phones being bugged and little brown paper packs <laughs> mm-hmm. tied up with string. Uh-huh. They're definitely, they're very tactile, but then they're overlaid on top of maps. And so I guess, you know, blind people wouldn't pick up the fact of the maps there. But I'm, from, like, I my experience as a, as a blind person being told about art, I would much rather have someone explain the piece i think that's really the key to get getting people to understand where the art is what the art where the art is historically what it's Mm -hmm. framed i i just i i think that a a verbal description of work is really key um and i'm I'm also a big historic nut so i think that it needs to be placed in its historical reference Mm -hmm. yeah actually we our time is up um I thank you all so much. Uh, it's it's been a really interesting discussion, and uh, I I would like to. Uh, do we have half a second? That if can do you all have websites? Can can you give your websites so that people can uh, connect and see your work? Sure. I'm www.busser b u s s e r howell h o w e l l dot com. Great. I'm uh, acunningham.com and also sensationalbooks.com. That's books mm-hmm. with an S. Okay. How about Gina? Um, Gina, well, there would be the www.siteofmotion.org or www.org. Ojos, which is O J O S Q U E S I E N T E N dot org, because that's in Spanish. Ojos que sienten dot org. Okay. 